Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Hello, I'm Jamie Chen. Hola, I'm Ines Babea. Hi, I'm Nathan Schiller, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Our guests today are Cesar Argueta and Michelle Mendoza from Tri Latino. Tri Latino is a nonprofit headquartered in the Bronx, helping to add Latino participation in triathlons. And as we know, triathlons can be a very time consuming and expensive endeavor since they require participation in three different sports swimming, biking, and running. And now, Let's move on to our sports legacy segment. The triathlon was invented in the 1970s in San Diego as an alternative to track workouts. After its debut in the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games, its popularity grew internationally. In 1978, the first Ironman in Oahu was created by John Collins to settle the debate in the field to see who is the fittest. It was won by Gordon Haler, a naval communication specialist. Cesar, you enlisted in the U.S. Marines at 17. Have you felt that that experience helped you develop your sense of helping others and also being able to train in a multidiscipline athletics as military training has been described as hyper-focused on detail, discipline, and multitasking? <clears throat> yeah, uh, spending my uh, time in the Marine Corps definitely has helped me serve others, definitely given me a sense of uh, purpose and mission which is why I'm very tied to the mission of, uh, of Tri-Latino, which is all about helping Latinos and people of color um, advance in, in, in the world of triathlons, endurance sports, and just promote overall healthy lifestyles and, and really uplift the, the community. Um, I would say that, um, yeah, the, the, the Marine Corps training definitely is, is very diverse. Um, you're, you're doing a lot, learning a lot. Um, surprisingly enough, though, uh, I, I'm coming a little bit late to this sport um, and, and, and very late to the disciplines. Uh, I want to say it's now in my, uh, in my years of adulting that I've decided to, um, you know, take on cycling and swimming. As a matter of fact, uh, swimming was the last part, I want to say about two, two years ago, I finally managed to get over the fear of swimming. And it was really through um, Tri-Latino as well as cycling it's all been through through tri-latino so i've always been an an advert runner uh the marine corps definitely uh we do a lot of running but you know it was later on where i picked up a lot of the disciplines um and and have and have gotten a passion for all three sports michelle tell us how you first became involved in tri-latino and what was your what was your sport before triathlons Great question. So my sport was actually um, swimming. I, I grew up on a swim team. So I was um, um, a very avid swimmer and experienced swimmer. So my connection to Tri-Latino was actually by way of uh, in grad school, my best friend from grad school introduced me to someone whom she had gone to high school with, who turned out to be one of three founding uh, members of Tri-Latino. So in a very social setting, quite frankly, at a bar um, with a little bit of liquid courage, <laughs> he pitched me the idea of starting um, 
a triathlon club uh, promoting you know, its mission, but more importantly, to get um, people of color and Latinos into the sport. So immediately I said yes without questioning what a triathlon even was, um, because the connection there was the swimming side of the equation. So I had no quorums with that. Little did I know that there were going to be two other disciplines involved that weren't just like you know how to do them, but you needed to learn how to do them properly, efficiently, and all of the science that goes behind it. So it was quite the learning lesson and the undertaking. What was your mindset like when you realized, oh, I got to do this other stuff also? It was, um, <laughs> there was that shock value of, uh, you know, again, you take it for granted that you know how to run or that you know, perhaps, you know, especially like on, you know, I was, I knew how to ride a bike, but no idea that there was an order of operation to this, um, let alone that there was conditioning involved. And I mean, you talked about the three sports right now, we haven't even touched the part about the nutrition aspect of it. The, the, psychological part that you you know what's the mindset um yes you want to be in an inclusive environment and in in a shared experience but there is also that level of like wait i have to now swim not in a swimming pool but in the open water so that that can be applied um to many environments uh both literal and as well as emotional as well as mental can you tell us a little bit about how you were introduced to swimming and the access? Because uh, I know for a lot of people, like if you live in certain areas, like you don't, you might not always have access to pools. You might have to like go to a gym. But how you said that like, you grew up swimming in a swimming team. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yes. So I, um, you know, in, in, in full transparency, I grew up on the West Coast. So there was a little bit more of that uh, access or exposure uh, to swimming pools and um, that environment. Um, I was also, I think, you know, it, it was strong in my family. And so my parents made it a point to, uh, you know, water safety, right, to be involved in understanding and respecting the water. And that naturally evolved to my own liking of being in the water and then wanting to learn how to swim, do the strokes and, and all of that that came with it. So there was that youth competitive side of the equation. Um, and then I personally took it a step further. I became a lifeguard. So there was a passion and a connection for me personally with swimming that you're absolutely right isn't necessarily i'm probably the anomaly in this equation um but normally it's um you know to come across access to a pool i i i'll be um quite honest i i didn't grow up with a pool in my backyard or anything like that so there was still that sense of having to join a local swimming club but it was um perhaps a little bit more encouraged but i think a lot of it driven on the fact that weather permits it Caesar, I'm just going to pivot to you because I, 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 I love that um, Michelle, she started in swimming, so that was her sport. And then I guess it was a good question because, you know, triathlons are multi-sport. And what was your sport? And I think you mentioned learning how to swim as an adult. How did that come about? Where did you get access to that type of training? Or where did you find classes? 
Yeah. So I, um, it, it's actually very, it, I, I am the exact opposite of Michelle. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, very urban area where we didn't have much access to pools, at least in my neighborhood, in my community. We have a big body of water called Lake Michigan, but uh, very few people are trying to swim in Lake Michigan. <laughs> I will say <laughs> that. In December. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and not only that, I will say that, um, you know, and the misconception sometimes is that, you know, because you're in the military, you, um, you automatically learn how to swim. Now, I will say, and, and many, many do an excellent job being in the military of learning how to swim, but, but really that sort of swimming is survival swimming, which is very different, very different than, um, than what you learn as competitive swimming. And I will also say that uh, I had some challenges in the water from a very young age uh, of which I almost had an incident where I nearly drowned. And, and so because of it, um, I, I, let's just say I was a hot mess. I, I was a hot mess. I had, I had anxiety. I was scared. I couldn't even put my face in the water. Um, and like I said, being an adult, um, specifically in Tri-Latino, really changed everything for me because the more I was able to talk to other inner city adults, um, I remember them sharing the same sentiment, which was like, you know, you don't have to be ashamed that you don't know how to swim. And I think that that's one thing that um, it, 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 it kind of is like the leading step to get you over that hump. Because you grow up with these sort of stigmas, like you don't know how to ride a bike, you don't know how to swim. And so you feel ashamed that you don't do this stuff because you didn't have the resources, because you didn't learn, and no one took the time to teach you. Um, and you don't have the facilities for it. But then uh, going back to swimming, I want to say that I, I, was, I spoke to someone who had, who had done, um, at the time, because of the pandemic, we don't have it right now, but at the time, Tri-Latino offered a learn to swim program. And I asked a couple of the colleagues, like, what do you think? How was your experience? And everybody just had really uh, great things to say about it, uh, speak about the coaches and the facility. And, um, and, and so it was really that, that was the catalyst to kind of get me there. That, and also I will say Michelle really pushed me sometimes, you know, um, you know, like they say, iron sharps, sharpens iron, right? Um, you need someone in the sport to hold you accountable. And so she was really there to, to push me, um, to, to also be there also to help me with that anxiety, um, because it was, it was pretty emotional. Pretty emotional. I, I, I still get emotional thinking about it because uh, it, it was something that really, um, really has impacted my life. Just, just that fear and, and that experience of nearly drowning. I can relate. And I, I understand. I had to learn as an adult. And I looked into courses in New York City. And they offer stuff at the Y and they offer at the New York City Parks Department. But when I looked at the classes, a lot of them had young children. And I'm here, you know, very late in life trying to, I just wanted to learn as an adult. Mm -hmm. Then I, I did find programs for adults at like colleges mm -hmm. that actually have pools and they were affordable because there were private gyms that offered them, but they're too expensive. But exactly. I did, I did find schools that actually had undergrads who I think need teaching credits. And so they mm -hmm. taught at night for adults. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't know, um, but I knew because, I, you know, I was around this community. I also came into the community in a very social setting. Um, 
you know, I, while I've been involved at the helm about a year and a half now, um, I was more involved from a social aspect. So I knew of the club through, through the people and building solid friendships and, and whatnot, but uh, it wasn't straight out that I was gun ho, you know, I, I think that's like the, the misconception is that people find out you're in the military, people find out that, you know, I've been labeled a gym rat, I like to work out. So people automatically think, oh, it's natural, you're just gonna pick up a bike and cycle. Oh, it's natural, you're just gonna swim and it's natural, you're just gonna get out there and crush it. And it's totally not that. It's, it's, it's a lot of mental debilitating anxiety, you know? Uh, a lot of fear you have to get over it, especially as an adult. You have to kind of work through that. And, and like I said, the shame is the other aspect. Like you have to kind of put all that to the side and just, you know, at some point in time, not even think about it, just kind of get out there and, you know, just do it. And it's a cliche, but you know, it's true. No, absolutely. Being able to like face that fear is, is commendable, especially as an adult, you know, cause as a child, you're like, I'm just going to go for it. But you know, as you get older, you, you develop your own, like, your own walls and you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. So yeah. congratulations for like doing that yeah. as an adult. Um, yeah. So you grew up in Chicago and Michelle, you said, what part of the West Coast? Was it like North? I grew up in San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering if you can talk about both of you as you were growing up, what was the level of fitness that you saw in the communities that, that you were in? Because I know that's like you just said that you didn't know how to swim. There was no access to it, but eventually you, you know, you became active. So what did you see growing up? And I guess the same for you, Michelle, because they, it kind of leads to like how, you know, we have statistics that always show that, you know, people of color are the least active. So I wanted to see if you could remember what it was like for you growing up, what you saw around people, how they felt about fitness per se. Well, I'll tell you, in terms of um, having grown up on the West Coast, and this, this again, goes to a, um, you know, if you have that exposure. So, because the exposure could be a community youth program, um, similar to what you were just describing in terms of it, like being college and a lot less of a cost, right? Um, and then there are the more prestigious programs that also exist. For me, they were definitely in that community environment. Um, and uh, so I think athletic, a lot of it is driven weather, right? Um, but I do think that the athletic, the athleticism and let, let alone the outdoor aspect, especially in Northern California, um, does lend itself uh, to, to, to just get outside. Um, but in terms of actually having a more formal structure, wasn't always necessarily the greatest. I mean, by the time that I, the high school that I graduated from, you know, and, and I did play sports in high school, my, my sports, if it wasn't swimming, it was playing soccer. Um, but you could see it in the inner, um, you know, when, the, when you, when the, when the high schools play intramural with one another, I mean, you see a huge range and a difference in access and skill set, um, especially those have, who have had the access and the privilege to be conditioned from the age that they were like three years old, right? So there is that very apparent um, environment. Uh, so I think that having had that does allow, and it's just the way that, you know, personally I'm wired, you know, that allows me to put myself out there to take on 
an extreme adventure um, of some sort and even be willing to give it a try. I may not be that great at it, but I'll still put myself out there to try to learn it. Um, the challenge does come with, you know, and even growing up, the resources of not being able to be consistent about it. Um, so I do think that that is going to be pretty evident um, and particularly in communities of color, communities of, um, you know, families that are still trying to do, to, to um, get by, whether it's, um, you know, looking for upward mobility or just even having the disposable income so that their kids can have a little bit more of, of these opportunities. So the struggle is always going to be there, um, but it's just a matter of finding as many of them that exist that might be nonprofit or at low cost. Yeah, I would say for me, um, so I would say, again, I was very fortunate in that, again, we had little resources. So, you know, growing up, my family really didn't have much. <clears throat> but I remember specifically, um, when we were kids, you know, I, in Chicago, I grew up in Humboldt Park, which would probably be the equivalent of living near Prospect Park. It's uh, the neighborhood park. And uh, we only live maybe a couple blocks away from it. And I remember that as a young age, like my dad would come home from working from the factory and just because he probably wanted to, you know, release some steam and whatnot, like he would take us to the park. And uh, it's funny because um, he didn't have any gear or like running shoes. He didn't have any, nothing fancy. He like just came home from his, from the factory in his work attire and he would take us running at the park. And he's like, we're going running at the park. And we just thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. Like we're going running. And here he was in like uh, his work slacks running. And, and I remember running after him. And I think that that was like one of the catalysts uh, for us being kind of active because then after that, um, I, I just remember my brother being so involved in the baseball. And uh, because of him, I, you know, when I went to high school, that was actually kind of like the sport that I wanted to get into was baseball, kind of following his trajectory. Um, and, and so I would say that while um, we didn't have access to a lot, there we had access through TV, of, you know, like watching the Cubs games and whatnot, and just idolizing um, these sports figures, and then wanting to just share uh, in, in that experience of being able to run or play baseball or, you know, just have something. But yeah, in that aspect, um, I, I realized that even that is a blessing because many, many don't have that opportunity, right? And by the time I got to high school, uh, I would say that, you know, everybody was kind of like in between either you, you do the, um, well, the cross country or you did baseball or you did football. Um, and at that time, they still, I remember, I don't want to date myself, but they actually still had like recess for like high school and you could go outside for like 30 minutes and play a sport and then they bring everybody back in. And then obviously, you know, uh, after a while, they, they realized that people would just play hooky. And so they, they kind of stopped that. But, uh, but I think that that experience of, of, of running being active is what then put me into the Marine Corps and there, you know, forget about it. Your, your, the level of expectation is that you will work out. You will be at the, at your best shape possible. And, and so then that becomes more of a mental, um, sort of discipline, um, that's ingrained inside of you. But it, it's something that, you know, I even speak about is a privilege. Um, it's a privilege to have because not everybody has that. 
and um, and 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 I'm very careful because even though I can do certain things, doesn't mean everybody can do it. It doesn't mean everybody has the access. Doesn't mean everybody has the 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 the, the state or the training or the discipline to be able to do it right off the bat. Are there differences that you've noticed, both of you, um, Michelle, coming from the West Coast to the East Coast? I know West Coast has great weather, and then New York City has four seasons. And so it's the same thing, you come from Chicago. So did you see differences in the approach to athletics in New York City compared to what you were used to? Well, I, I've seen it, and especially being in New York City, right, like living in... Um, in the city and you see the schools around uh, while I may not have attended a, a you know an elementary school or even middle you know school in in New York City but you do get to see how the kids um, pre-pandemic <laughs> you know how the, how they would go to recess and how they would play outside and it is a very urban urban environment so the games and the exposure I mean maybe you're gonna play handball wall ball and we you know we've had that as well um, but it's going to be on a blacktop, right? Versus um, where where there are schools with, even though they might be in the city, still have a little bit more green space um, that they can actually get out and play more of the other uh, sports. Like, you know, I mentioned soccer earlier, right? But you just have a lot more land to work with. So that's probably the biggest apparent difference is that, um, in New York City, you can see that the environment is going to be driven specifically to the activities that can be accomplished on a blacktop um, versus when when you're on the West Coast. My sister is a, a, a kindergarten um, teacher for the San Francisco Unified School District. So even when she tells me the activities that she takes kindergartners out to do, again, pre-pandemic, um, you know, are quite different from what I've observed uh, kids here in New York City be able to do, but that just comes down to space. Yeah, I think that for, for, for me, I think based on both urban dwellings are very similar. Um, you have access if you have access and, and, and you don't, if, if you're just from one of the neighborhoods, you know, like El Barrio, there's, there's not really much. Um, so I would say what, what I have seen though um, is more um, I think as, as time has progressed and society as a whole has become more health conscious, I think that's what I've observed more in that more people are conscious about wanting to be healthy. More, more people are conscious about um, getting outside because being outside now, people seem to understand there's sort of some, um, you know, it, it helps in, in, in and mental stability, it just helps in being able to just, um, you know, relax and, and, and quell the anxiety. So I think that's, that's more of the things of what I've noticed, but I think it's more just as time has progressed and society as a whole has become a little bit more conscious that, uh, that there are more people uh, wanting to live an active lifestyle. And I think that, but I think that as far as like opportunities and all these things, I think the, the cities, I'm sure very much as like rural areas, you know, they have more space. The cities still remain very challenged in space. And as you said, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time, swimming pools in New York City. I mean, 
forget about it. it it's they're so expensive. There, you can't find them, and and when you do, um, their their management are are nearly not willing to to go beyond you know the bottom line to um, to support and and sort of causes that go beyond these sort of initiatives, which is like teaching adult or giving adults access or just even even programs for elderly to get them in the pool because you know maybe that might help them for people who suffer from you know everything from muscular dystrophy or anything else arthritis the the pool would help immensely and yet you know it's stuff that isn't available as 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 frequently and i'm glad that you mentioned um access because that also kind of makes me think about you guys have a program for youth so if you can talk a little bit about why is it important not just to like encourage the adults who have the finance the financial means for it but also why you guys created the youth program sure so uh the youth program it's it's called tri-latino juniors and um the program has actually been in existence for now going on 10 years um, so it's been a very successful program we started with one high school we've expanded to three high schools here in New York City. Um, and its purpose is exactly what your previous question was, which is, what do you see that difference? What do you see, uh, you know, what I took as like the youth opportunity to have exposure to um, activities and to exercise. And this program was to extend that mission and penetrate into these communities that, you know, over-index in obesity that are um, just uh, um, being impacted the most from a health perspective. So why not start that pipeline earlier? Um, because perhaps the high school itself doesn't have as much of a, um, you know, physical education program as, as other schools do around the country, or perhaps the um, school doesn't have as much to offer for extracurricular physical activities, you know, pro, um, after class. So that is how the program came to be and um, why we, we encourage the student, yes, to come and get active and to be um, outside. But more importantly, it's the impact and the influence that that child has or that that youth has at home and bringing back what they've learned, whether it be from a physical perspective, help quell, you know, approach some of these learning opportunities such as swimming or even riding a bike um, and bringing that back home and sharing that experience at home and even taking it a step further, the part about incorporating these disciplines or just even learning these activities and making it part of a lifestyle because it's a lifestyle transformation and a change there that by impacting this youth we allow them to have this exposure they also have an opportunity to learn about the nutrition because we cannot forget that as physical as any environment can be the nutrition part of it is extremely important and so they then become better or more aware of the decisions that they are making and how they're about to eat, whether they have, you know, extra money to spend with friends after school or, um, you know, are with their parents or their family 
on a shopping trip inside of a supermarket, together there is that level of influence that they can bring better life choices home. And then there's another element to it, which is the exposure that they have with the with the adult program and eventually become um, or are able to establish through mentorship, uh, we actually have a mentor program, the ability to establish a connection to other people of color who are professionals and ha can see that they too can become professionals, go on to college, like just have that exposure that goes beyond um, their immediate environment. So it's, it is a process. Uh, and over the course of the 10 years, you know, we, we have numerous um, success stories that have come out of exactly that. But if the student is, um, so to answer your first question, where are the schools and how are the schools established or that relationship with the schools established? Uh, Pre-COVID, pre um, a lot of it was driven on just relationships that we had even amongst our own community, tri-Latino community, and either somebody worked at a school or um, you know had ties to a, a neighborhood school. So our initial relationship started with one New York City uh, public high school in the Bronx, in the South Bronx to be specific, um, and it started there. Then as we continued to grow and the years came um, uh, went on, in the last three years, we've had two additional schools. The schools have been, again, by way of um, ushering in the relationship because either someone in our community is already working at the school or has really good ties um, to, to the school to help um, give the program credibility. Um, and, and then we're able to bring the program to life. So what we do from these schools is we, we actually recruit, but we actually don't do any of the programming or execute any of the, of the workouts or anything like that on the school campus at all. It's just the schools that these kids have come from. So the beauty about having a, an array of schools is that even kids here in New York City are able to make connections and establish relationships with other youth that don't necessarily go to their local high school or to the high school that they're, you know, that they're, they're enrolled at. Um, and so, so that answer, so that's, that question. So we have two schools in the Bronx, and we have one school here in Manhattan. Um, and then, and then of the three schools, um, one of them continues to be a public, um, a New York City public public high school, and the other high, the other school is a um, Catholic um, boys high school, and we have a Catholic girls high school. And just because they're parochial doesn't necessarily mean that these students aren't students of need either. So I also want to address that misconception, right? Because the, immediate, the moment that people think, well, it's not a public high school, doesn't necessarily mean that because you're attending a parochial or a private school, um, there aren't financial um, uh, challenges there as well. So it is really driven about giving the opportunity to the kids to be part of a program that they, again, wouldn't necessarily have access to in their own immediate community or in their immediate high school. So um, there's that. And your second question, I'm sorry, was the the influence of the kids in their in their own respective homes or as, as far as like, you know, 
because you mentioned um, nutrition and teaching the kids the importance of eating healthy. Oh, yes. How do you, you know, like, are you not so I'm, I can just imagine like, you know, somebody's mom saying, so what do you mean you can't eat tostones anymore? Like, what's wrong with <laughs> mean? What's wrong with, you know, I don't come honest. What's, what's wrong with all that? That yes. you, you grew up on that. Yes, no, of course. And listen, we all grew, grew up on, on that. I think it's it, like anything, it's in moderation. Um, and so at no point, and none, and let me make it very clear, we are extremely aware from a cultural perspective. That's the benefit of having a program written and, you know, um, the architect behind it being people of color and understanding the cultural aspect of it. We will never say, do not eat XYZ, that is wrong, because who are we to say that? It is exposing the students to understand how to, it might even be as basic as how to read a nutrition fact panel. You, you know what those are? Those are the back of the packaging, right? Your everyday packaging. So it, it in the nutrition um, curriculum, part of it would be um, or would include a trip to a local supermarket and we will literally walk down the aisle and explain uh, number one how products are even um, belong to larger companies and ultimately owned by probably five master um, corporations and then for them to understand that there is a brand and behind the brand you need to read the the nutrition label on a particular product. So that is part of the education. So again, we will never tell somebody, no, don't eat tostones. Um, but, you know, did you know that you could potentially make those tostones using olive oil instead of, you know, vegetable oil or, um, you know, something else? So there are just healthier pivots to, to make. I love using the example of the sour cream. I love sour cream, but, a little bit of a healthier alternative to a sour cream could just be plain yogurt, you know, to use it in something. So those are the type of tips that these, that, that the youth are able to walk away with. I love that advice. Um, and not only are you making me hungry, but you're stirring up all these great memories, the way you're talking about youth and, you know, just getting kids involved in the city and comparing it to where you grew up. Um, and Caesar, the same thing when you were saying you date yourself with recess. I'm like, oh no, this is where we all get dated, because I remember recess. And um, but I, I wanted to think about this kind of zoom out because we're talking about getting kids involved and getting um, people of color involved in a sport that, as you list on your website, is almost ninety percent white at the competitive level. So the statistics that you have from the USA Triathlon. I assume that they're taking into account races and, you know, participations. So is that a number that, like, what do you think when you hear that number? Is that a number that it's going to be like that in 10 years? Um, you know, I'm not saying it, you know, that one thing should happen or another thing should happen. You guys are making incredible effort to get people who are not represented at that level involved. But what is, I mean, you put that prominently there and what's kind of the future for um, a, a group like Tri-Latino? 
Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I had to mute myself there. That's a good question. And I think that that's one of the things that, um, that we've been working on uh, most recently. And it's, it's one of our, uh, our passion points. And it's one of the things that I, I'm really working on, um, trying to establish these direct conversations with um, USAT as an organization, uh, with Ironman, whether it's uh, at the Ironman Foundation level or also with the USAT Foundation level also aware of this. Um, there is genuine interest in their, um, or from their perspective, to want to change as well. Um, and, and I think that every time I get on the phone and I'm able to have a conversation with them, I'm, I'm able to, to speak about these things from the aspect of facilities, from the aspect of equipment, from the uh, aspect of just even funding. Um, because with COVID, many of our members also experience the financial hardship. So that, that limits the participation, um, their participation to train and also limits their participation to be uh, these sort of faces out there on the race. So from, from a, from a long-term perspective, I, I don't want to make it seem like they're, they're, it, it's not a, a, a big hill. There's a lot of work to do, but uh, based on what I'm seeing, um, it seems like there is a, a change in the tide here from the organizations that they also recognize that they want genuine change. And, um, and I think that this is also an area where I think, um, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to make it sound cliche, but, you know, we, we are, we're finding more people to be allies with um, and more people are stepping in to want to be allies with on the adult side. Um, as well as uh, with the juniors. I mean, we, we, I think the, the, with the juniors program, um, many people are touched by the, the fact that they can impact youth. So um, they, we see that with that, with, with that program, they genuinely want to jump in, as you would say. Uh, it's a little bit harder with the adults because with the adults, people normally think that, oh, well, they're young professionals or they're professionals, they're set in their careers, they have, they have access to resources, um, but that's not necessarily the case. That's not necessarily the case. And I think that that's the, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is how do we, how do we, how do we in, inform um, others about about the opportunity at large to impact the adults um, in a way that you know that 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 can that can genuinely demonstrate that you know that that this is for the betterment of the entire community. Um, so you know, <clears throat> I know I'm not giving you exactly like what the picture is. Uh, I'm not giving you a three-year or five-year plan as a leader, but I am saying that there there is. I do see it very promising. I do see it that more organizations will partner, and I do see that um, that more more people, more adults, more athletes, more professional athletes will want to become allies um, with us and help move this cause forward. Um, I don't know if Michelle, you want to add anything else to that. Yes, I will say that the um, these organizations, whether it's the race, um, you know, these national brands that exist that organize these races, or whether it's USAT um, or any other governing body, they recognize that the landscape has changed. Um, and they realize that they need to reach out and connect. Their challenge is going to be to do it in a way that is authentic, 
without simply checking a box, right? And so there, like you said, um, just like the, the example that Caesar gave has come to us to talk about that. They want to know what's your secret sauce? How do we get more people involved? You know, and you know, they want a framework. I mean, that we can write a framework. We have our own framework. We know what it is. But until you've lived it, breathed it, experienced it, um, that that's the part that that any organization needs to ensure that they, I think it goes beyond just having an ally. It really has somebody like sitting at the table and understanding what these communities um, need to fill that gap and to fill that void. So when you're talking about allies, if you guys can give an example of how exactly is it, what is it that they're offering? Like, are they offering to have to sponsor you guys or bring people into their space or are they looking to partner in, I don't know, maybe like in nutrition and getting gear. And with that, it also made me think about the name. Did, did at any time, did you think about, how did you guys decide on the name? And did you think about that the name at some point will be thought of as, oh no, it's just for Latinos. We don't need to like be involved with them. Um. Well, let me just say first and foremost, I think that, you know, and, and, and Michelle can give her take after I say this, but I would say that to answer your first question, yes, uh, I say that these organizations are, are all coming. I mean, I, I think last year we were very fortunate. Um, USAT um, gave us the opportunity to, to do a presentation on diversity, equity, and inclusion at one of their virtual summits, and we were able to speak about, Wait, you know, who's some things that were, for people that who's used that for people that don't know the acronym. Oh, the um, what what is it, Michelle? Like it's um, the the United USA States Triathlon. Triathlon. Yes, USA Triathlon uh, Organization, which is the governing body. We we call them USAT. They also have the USAT Foundation, but um, but they were they um, they allowed us to present last year at a virtual summit uh, about diversity, equity, and inclusion. About you know kind of talking about some of the things that, that are working and that we're doing. And I will say that thanks to that opportunity, we have gotten um, other people reaching out in this capacity of um, you know, par partnerships, either sponsorships, sponsoring athletes, wanting to provide gear samples or, or wanting to provide even um, something as small as nutrition packs so that we can try it and also um, potentially even being part of these committees, uh, which Michelle um, talked about, which is not just having an ally or being able to relay information to a key person, but actually potentially having a seat um, at some of these committees. Now, has that happened yet? No, but there is talk about them wanting to do it, which is why you know Michelle speaks about you know, how, um, how do they do it in a way that's authentic without checking, you know, just making it seem like they check the box by reaching out and saying, hey, we want to do something that feels good and not really doing it. So there's still work to be done. Um, and, and we'll hopefully within a year from now, I hope that if we um, get a follow up, uh, you know, invitation to come back, we'll, we'll have better news for, for, for your audience. Uh, and then as far as Tri-Latino, uh, the name is, it goes, 
uh, I want to say it in, 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 a, in a very neutral sense, but I want to say that, and I've said this about, you know, Black Lives Matter. I, I think many people make it seem like if you are for something, you are against something. And, and, and I believe that the premise for me is that for me to say something about standing up for Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that I'm diminishing anybody else. I am for that. So when I also speak about Latinos, I, I say the same thing. I am for them, but it doesn't mean that it is only exclusively for them. On the contrary, we welcome anyone. Anyone is welcome into Tri-Latino. Um, but again, that's me coming from, you know, someone who is, is still fresh in the organization. Michelle has been around since its inception. So um, I'll, I'll let her talk a little bit about the, the name and, and maybe some of the, uh, the earlier um, iterations of it. Well, to go back to your question about um, DE and I, um, it, it, I, I want to make sure that it's clear that it that we've been doing this since before it started trending, right? And we can say that a lot of companies are that it's a trending topic right now. Um, so it's diversity, equity, and inclusion has been in our DNA since our inception. So to talk about the name, try Latino. Well, yes, we do get the questions and we probably saw that question earlier on, but I think as people have, um, uh, as multiculturalism has become more um, of a mainstream topic, it, we, we probably don't see it as much anymore, but it, it'll still happen, which is, must I be Latino to join? Now, we had a, um, while it's never been on any of our official collateral, there is always been that element of, no, you don't need to be Latino to join. You just need a little salsa in your soul um, so that <laughs> you can, you can, uh, you know, I, but, but all are welcome, you know, and that is however you rep, you know, you identify yourself. Now, uh, the makeup of our organization today, of our community, we have 50% Latino participation, but we also have Black, Asian, um, you know, Pacific Islander, and uh, Native American, as well as we have Caucasian, you know, um, white people joining our organization. So it is, it, it is, it is not the name that brings you to the club, it is the mindset and it is the environment that brings you there. Um, we just like to make the name look cool, you know, on our gear, hence why you see us wearing it. <laughs> but um, but uh, yes, it does go beyond beyond that name. So early on, it was it was questioned whether it was going to come across as um, you know perhaps too alienating for anyone, but the reality is it's also a non-for-profit. And as I described, it was a bunch of friends who got together and said, hey, let's do this. This should be a great idea. idea. So it's not like we had the resources and you know, the ability to do focus groups and test names uh, that, that large companies do before launching a brand or a, a program name, right? Um, but this is where we are and we will continue to be inclusive in in who we welcome so uh, that's that's who we are today and that's interesting that you mentioned that um 
you know, diversity and inclusion has been part at the forefront from the beginning. I mean, the fact that you guys created, you know, the group is to say like, hey, we are also going to be part of this, a space where it's like 90, like Nathan said before, 90%, um, you know, pretty white. So does it make, and now you guys have been around for like over 10 years. So now that, you know, as you said before, like for some people, diversity is now a trend because of what the pandemic has forced us to check out. Are you wary of who is coming to you to partner? Do you now, do you question a little bit more? Because like I said, like you guys have been around for like 10 years. These people could have found you before, but now they're like, oh, we want like, so what is it that when they come to you that will make you say yes? And we'll make you say no about any kind of anyone that wants to be an ally. Well, we've actually had, um, we've had a person, um, a professional athlete approach us and say very authentically, I want to be an ally. The question then becomes, well, then how, right? What are the mechanics behind that? And what does ally mean to you? In, in this particular instance, it was more about because she, this person had the reach would be able to help us with the fundraising side of the equation. So, um, and, and exposure from a grant perspective, because at the end of the day, we are a non-for-profit. We are a recognized 501c3. So of course we would embrace that. We welcome those opportunities, but um, another one could be as simple as, Hey, we have, samples for you guys and uh, we'd like to get it out there so while that may be a little bit more tactical in nature um it's fine it's in and we welcome any uh calls um you know to 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 reach out but for us in order to really move that needle or move the agenda forward it is going to be um with the resources the platforms and both, both from a monetary perspective as well as from um, an infrastructure perspective to be able to have those things in place so that we can continue to offer the programming at no cost to low cost um, to fulfill that mission. So I want to ask a question about how you relate to the NYC Tri because this is a huge event, costs a lot of money. It's um, not happened so recently. Um, but what is your relationship with them like? Can you kind of give us an inside look at how it's happened and, and what it's been like and where you see it going? Yeah, so that's another one that, um, you know, it's a legacy property in New York, right? Um, New York City Triathlon, unfortunately, has been on a two-year drought uh, in 2019 with the, with the heat wave that we had, and then in 2020 with the pandemic. Um, we have seen that race evolve over time. And um, in the world that we live in today, uh, you know, the, we knew the original, um, we knew the original producer of that race, which was, uh, it, it was Corf Enterprises. Um, and they, that, that goes to show you how long Tri-Latino has been around. And it was a local promoter who would produce that race. And eventually um, he sold it, the rights. And today that race is owned by Lifetime Tri. That is a, I, I believe they're in an internet, they are an international brand now um, who owns the, the Marks to that race. So our relationship has evolved with them 
um, but we continue to have a an official line, uh, an official charity uh, relationship with them, uh, which allows us to um, have spots at the race that we then um, turn around and uh, open it up so that people can participate in the race by way of a charity spot um, in exchange for raising funds for our organization. Hey, Cesar, I was just going to ask you, since there's been cancellations and we're in a pandemic, how have you been able, how, you, how have you guys been able to keep your members active? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Well, um, because of the pandemic and, and this was, this was very much, um, you know, as, as soon as things were starting to shut down, which was, um, I'll paint the picture. Uh, I took at the helm about February end of February last year. Uh, I'm doing a transition where I think I'm going to, you know, kick off on a regular season, like everything else. And before you know it, we get hit with this, uh, with this virus and everything starts to shut down and we are on the verge of having to scrap the entire season. Um, and I will say that this is where, um, you know, it, it really did take a lot of teamwork to come together to, to determine what we were going to do, how we were going to do it, if we were even going to be able to do anything. And I think that uh, as we were together with our coaching staff and just, I mean, it literally was a, a team effort from the board. Um, everyone who had has, had been on the board for a, you know a, a while, as well as the coaches, to try to figure out how we could come together and put something together. And it was where last year we unveiled uh, our what we called our hybrid program, which was trying to maintain um, communication virtually and, and keeping people active virtually. And also uh, later on, we, we did an in-person, but a lot of it was no different than everybody else, right? Just trying to figure out how are we going to stay together? And I think that this is where we leaned on a lot of these uh, virtual channels, such as Zoom and, uh, and our WhatsApp. Uh, that became quickly one of our biggest um, platforms to be able to connect um, you know, we talk about being a community. And so, you know, it, it was just interesting how, you know, we were just able, we had to make do with what we had and something as simple as like WhatsApp, where normally that would have been just a channel for communication. We decided that we were going to use that and create a separate, um, you know, kind of chat so that, you know, we could communicate with each other and, 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 and kind of lean on each other. And I think that from there, we started to just have these, um, these checkpoints where we checked in with people, we started to check in and, and schedule Zoom calls to kind of hear what everybody was going through, uh, get a pulse on how people were feeling comfortable, if they were feeling comfortable to come outside. Um, and, and so it, it's, been a, um, it's been a lot of lessons learned, I would say in the past year, while right now it seems that, you know, everyone's very comfortable with Zoom and virtual calls. Um, it, it's one of those things that, like any organization, we literally have to go through some growing pains um, to get there. But it was through that that we were able to kind of keep people active, maybe not so much in the sense of like doing a workout, but at least active to the extent like, hey, you have something to look forward to in a sense of like maybe there was chatter going on in, in the uh, WhatsApp channel. 
or maybe we decided to schedule a town hall or maybe we decided to schedule a game night or maybe we decided to schedule just uh, uh, a session just so that we're going to open up the, the the zoom channel and anyone can stop by and you know tell us how you're feeling tell us what you're doing so i would say that for us even that definition of of being active um was went more than just how do you physically be active uh, in addition to also just then giving us an opportunity to step also away from being so race centric which i think after a while many people who are in the sport tend to you know um set their goals from race to race to race this gave us an opportunity to go back to to pivot and make the conversation about healthy lifestyle um and and, and mental health which was something that um is something that uh, i'm passionate about just trying to also figure out how we can approach and, and talk about a holistic uh approach to health and wellness versus swim bike run which is great but we know that there's more than just swim bike run there's also the mental health and as michelle has talked a couple of times about the nutrition aspect so when it comes to total health there's just a lot of areas that we can talk about and i know that we we've talked about the the three different um sports that are required for a try so i'm wondering you know where do you guys bike run and definitely swim in new york city like, how do you do it? And then when people come to you, do you ever get someone who has never been active? Like, and you have to like introduce them to like all three. So maybe just like the first part, like where do you, where do you swim, bike and run? So we, we swim here in, um, in Manhattan and uh, our pools, we've rotated some pools, but um, for the most part in the last seven years or so, we've been pretty consistent with the YMCA um, on the east, east side near Grand Central. Um, so we try to look for locations that are centrally located so people can get in and out um, quickly because we realize that not everyone is in Manhattan. Um, but we do try or we did try to keep our, our, um, our training environments in Manhattan because people were coming in for work, right? So it was easy to get to after work. And that's going to be one of those um, areas that we've already seen that growth and that pivot even in this year of, pan of the pandemic because not everybody needs to be in the city um, as much as they have in the past. So um, that is one of our pools. Another one is down in the Lower East Side. Um, and um, we've also used uh, John Jay so it's wherever we can establish a um, you know pool booking and 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 have and rent the pool, um, and we realize that there are there is demand because it's a very coveted uh, you know premium to to find pool space in New York City. So we're up against um, swim teams and other organizations that are using the pools for various different. Um, reasons and sometimes even against the schools themselves with their own respective programming. So we're pretty much at the mercy of wherever we can find pool space. So if anyone has any leads, we're always, we always welcome those. Is the East River not an option? I'm, I'm sorry? 
the East River is not oh, <laughs> no the East okay. River doesn't doesn't cut it and the only time we jump into the river is for the New York City triathlon so um, and, and we'll save it as a one and done you know when when the time is required um, but we will look for open water locations right and again to something that can be accessed um, by most through public transportation so we will purposely schedule our open water swims um, either at Coney Island or at Brighton Beach um, a few times we've done some things out on the in the Rockaways, uh, but uh, we 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 try to keep it within the beaches of New York so that people can get to them relatively easily. Um, so those are our swimming destinations. So maybe Fessa, maybe you can answer the other question about do you what is the fitness makeup of the people that come to you? Does everybody already have an expertise in all three sports? Do you get people that have none and they just say like, I want to get fit? I, I think it's a, we have it all. We have it all. We have, um, we have the, um, what you, what you would say the alpha type athletes. So we have that. We also have, um, the individuals who just want to live a healthy lifestyle. We actually also have some people who, um, who, who are, um, probably recovering from some sort of injuries. So we have those individuals. So we have a little bit of everything. We also do have some individuals who, um, you know, one of our members, uh, her story is just comes to mind, obviously about two years ago. Um, she literally shared with all of us that she was a couch potato. And it wasn't until that, you know, she joined Trilatino and was surrounded by so many individuals that, you know, she really took up the, 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 uh, the triathlon sport. Um, but other than that, prior to joining Trilatino, she had, she had, she, she literally said she was a couch potato so much so that I was, I was so surprised that I'm like, wait, you've never done anything before. And she was like, I never did it. She was like, I literally would just sit on my couch and whatnot. And I would say that she's one of our biggest uh, testimonials to date that um, she just, um, having having little no little to no experience and this is just what she shared that she joined trilatino and then because she was surrounded by so many people with this mindset of just you know you can do it um you you can push yourself she really has taken to it and uh i mean she's just a remarkable story so i want to say that that's also what drives me many times to to, to, to want to continue to lead and just be at the helm here is for all those people who maybe have never had that exposure that they might just see us one day, see the shirt. Uh, that's why we put the name out there so bright and loud so that somebody can see it and say, hey, well, what are you guys about? What, what do you do? And that we have the chance to, you know, in a sense, share with them uh, the collective experience. As I said, I mean, you're talking to a guy who literally didn't know how to swim to like two years ago, didn't know how to bike till like five years ago. So, and, and again, this is just me. So, and I think to myself, I'm like, if, if I'm one out of how many people, how many other people are out there? And I think that that's something that sometimes gets me is like, how many people could we reach if we had more resources? How many, how many lives could we actually transform if we had more resources out there? Um, and I think that, um, that, that that's really what, what drives me is, is knowing that, but any and all levels and, and our, and I will, and I have to say, um, you know, in regards to our coaches, um, our head coach, coach Danny Artiga, 
Um, and many of our coaches who have been with us for the longest time just, um, just really understand um, um, and have high emotional intelligence. So, you know, one of the things, so one of our swim, two of our swim coaches, um, you know, so, so one of the things that I struggled with was just getting my face in the water. And, you know, and it's only because, you know, the moment I, I thought they were going to reprimand me, but the moment I told them that they both were like, all right, look, let's just stay right here. Let's not do anything else. Let's just kind of work on, on feeling comfortable with the water. Let's just do that. And if you can do that, you know what, this session here was a success. And I think that that carries mm -hmm. on into everything because I also know, like I said, with our, 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 our head coach, Coach Danny, if you're injured, if you've never run, he's going to tell you, hey, listen, don't exert yourself. Uh, everyone's going to do like a mile or three. Let's just try 700 meters. Give me a, give me a, a nice steady jog and walk, right? So even though it's not um, private, you, you still get the coach's attention to understand that he's going to work with you. He's going to work towards your goals. He's going to be very empathetic. And I think that that's also what has been, I would, I would like to say one of the success factors is, is our coaching staff that I really have to give kudos to them. So we're going to get to the hot mic, but first we have a few questions um, that we've kind of touched around. Um, and one of them is the money aspect. We know tries, I mean, you know, we're primarily a running podcast, so we have this discussion with runners because shoes and races and, you know, transportation to get places to run with groups, everything, nutrition, it all adds up with tries. We know that bikes are expensive. Like you've talked about swimming pools. Um, you know, what happened? How do you handle when someone says this looks great, but it's going to cost a lot? Um, what do I do when I have to front all those costs myself? Like, how do you have those discussions? We know it's going to be part of um, the the question, especially if somebody you know has is is new to the sport. So the barrier of entry is already high for all of those reasons. Um, but part of our work, you know, our mission, it goes beyond just delivering to you as the athlete who wants to come into the sport. In the background, we're also working with local bike shops to secure mm. discounts. Um, if it's for our youth program, the kids don't have to pay anything. It's covered 100%. We are lending them the bikes. We are giving them the, you know, taking them out to buy them shoes, um, you know, goggles, swimsuits, you name it. Um, so we are subsidizing that 100% at the youth level. On the adult level, we are doing everything that we can to make it about the getting into the sport and making sure that you understand it, like it. And again, it's a lifestyle change. It's not about being on the podium. If you happen to end up on the podium, that's even better, right? That that's that's even, uh, or I shouldn't say it's even better, but rather it's it's quite impressive if you end up on the podium. But to what Caesar was describing, which is the 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 person who might go from couch to 5K, um, that's perfectly fine as well too. So we will do everything in our power to help um, source those those items and sometimes even second even the community that we've built amongst our 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 group 
we laugh about it because the other day it was like, well, is this the new Craigslist? But it allows people to say, hey, I'm about to upgrade my trainer. I have this trainer. Does anyone want it? Or does anyone, um, you know, have a bike rack or um, you name it. And so that with the sense of community that allows people to put it out there, not necessarily expecting profit out of it, but just making it accessible to someone else. And you can call that paying it forward. So that's one of the big um, aspects that, that, uh, that we do is we make sure that, that uh, we do everything in our power to um, guide you in a way that you can find these tools needed at a very reasonable um, rate. So you mentioned that you guys are a nonprofit and then you also have um, <clears throat> sponsorships with different companies, um, I guess, to help you put together all these programs and help the people that want to come um, to race it. So how did the pandemic impact you and is that and are you looking for new ways to be able to be able to still have that money come to you and continue? We are constantly looking for um, ways to, uh, you know, for the for the funding, and the funding can come by way of income for paying for programming. Um, but that, at a bare minimum, is just covering the cost of programming. We're not the, we're not making any money by any means. There are no margins there. Um, but our biggest opportunity is going to come by way of grants and us looking for those programs. So Caesar mentioned the USAT grant um, from last year, which was a COVID opportunity. We resubmitted again, and hopefully we will get awarded from it. But if we don't, um, we have to continue to, to turn over rocks and continue to look for other grant opportunities um, where the mission is, is, it is aligned with what the grant stands for. Um, and then there are the traditional sponsorship opportunities. We haven't done those in a while because with a, with, um, as a non-for-profit, it is um, a very fine line with what we can do from a sponsorship, you know, a paid sponsorship perspective. Um, but the sponsorship can come by way of an in-kind donation, either in the sense of product um, samples or um, any other any other uh, resources. So we're, look, we'll get creative and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just even being able to have the conversation. But grants are going to be our biggest opportunity for larger impact. Um, resources. Yeah, I I just wanted to add that yeah, it, it's um, our future, and 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 I'll say it like that, and and our existence is really going to be in the future tied to to grants, um, sponsorships, are uh, you know at our level are, are 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 you know we're not we're not seeing big endorsements or sponsorship deals. It really is a lot of work. We have a very dedicated board that is out there looking for grants, applying for grants. And, um, and the, more, the more we can get our story out there, the more that people can hear about the things that we're doing with the community. Uh, our hope is that we'll, we will get more opportunities for grants because that's really what's going to secure the future of Tri-Latino is, is the, the grants and the partnerships. Um, and I think like any, 
any nonprofit, right? This is nothing new. This is this is how you survive, right? And, and this is this is no different than I want to say that this is this is the reality for many communities of color, right? It's not it's not anything new. This is uh, Michelle is exactly right. We we will find a way because that's what we know how to do, and we will make it work, right? Because we also know that that uh, that you know, as I mentioned, the opportunity to just reach someone, the opportunity to just be there, uh, be a beacon of hope and light for someone who is struggling means means the difference that someone might have the chance to just have the opportunity to transform their life. Well, that is the great segue to our hot mic, which it kind of sounded like that's what you were prepping for. So the hot mic, you basically get two minutes and interrupt the time to leave the listeners with a message. And they're uninterrupted. And like the last time, we have had two guests and we chose it by order of birthday month. But since we have just learned that you guys actually share the same month, <laughs> who's going to go first? I think this is where we, Michelle and I, we're really good at doing paper, rock, scissors, or uh, if we're in person, we try to see who shoves who out of the right. way. There, was, there, would, there would be a little bit of a comedy show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're always fighting for our birthdays, and, uh, you know, if I try to schedule my birthday party pre-pandemic, she would be like, no, that's the day I'm doing my birthday party, and so <laughs> we kind of have to just flip a coin or do something like that, but uh, no, I, I'll, I'll let Michelle go first. Well, I think it's, um, you know, we talked about it earlier. It is some of us have had the privilege in, in, in some capacity or how we were introduced to either sport or to um, just the exposure. And if we can continue to do that for someone else um, and a tri-Latino allows it to be that platform to allow whether it's another adult or whether it is a youth, um, you know, uh, to, to have that opportunity to learn something and also for the person teaching it. It doesn't necessarily need to come from a coach while we have um, fully, um, you know, trained coaching staff and a brilliant coaching staff people learn from others. And so you just wanna to continue to create these environments that allow um, people to learn from one another in a very safe and organic manner. Um, so, so that's what I leave you with. Get involved with, with someone, oh, with an organization, support an organization. You don't have to be the best athlete possible, but continue to um, allow these positive environments to thrive. And if you can open a door for an organization, for someone part of an organization like this, do it. Again, you don't have to become the, the member. You can just help in some other capacity. And it just might be by way of a quick introduction. Um, or picking up a phone call, uh, picking up the phone and making a call on on our behalf. Caesar. Yeah, I I will say that um, you know uh, I think that as we. Well, wait, wait, wait! Before the competition starts, because we uh, have to find out how long did Michelle go for? Oh, 60 seconds. <laughs> 
we were just going to hear Caesar talk for at least 10 minutes about deep dish pizza. So can yeah, we just keep so, rolling with that? Yeah, that listen, and, that was and 154. Michelle. I've made deep dish pizza, so uh, after the no, I said that after the the pandemic, if you are, uh, I'll, I'll invite you over for deep dish pizza because I know how to make it. So um, <laughs> you'll have an invitation there. That's good carb load. Yeah, yeah, good. So um, no, my my final thought is 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 that is that as we as we look to talk about um, you know um, just access and 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 ability. To, to just reach more people. It, it is that we have, a, we have the opportunity to do a lot of great things and, and transform lives. And I think a lot of it comes by way of um, what Michelle is saying. Um, many times people will be like, well, what can I do to get involved? And, and I think those steps are very easy. It, it can be as simple as just even telling somebody else about Tri-Latino. Uh, the goal mm -hmm. in the future is really to be here in the long haul for, for so many other people, right? It means absolutely nothing if, if you know, the, the, the fortunate few get to take advantage of it and then a couple of years from now, we're not here because um, great nonprofits come and go, right? So how do we do that? Well, just by some, simply telling somebody else, um, sharing, sharing the, the name of Tri-Latino uh, opening up the door, as Michelle said, to um, to uh, either organizations or other, or just even knowledge about grants. Um, there's so much that many times people think like, oh, well, I don't want to be an athlete. Well, you don't have to be. But but there are sometimes some people who just know so much knowledge about so many city programs, about uh, state-funded programs, and uh, they sit on the sideline with all that information, and no one benefits from it right? Uh, or, or very few people get to benefit from it. So the more we can get our story out, the more we can talk about the great things that we're doing. And, and really, it's all about just, you know, uh, you don't have to really do a triathlon. My, you know, my thing is, you know, and one of the premises that we talk about is Muevete, which is our tagline, which is all about Muevete can be so many things. While it literally means move in Spanish, there's also the other aspect about moving in a, in, a, in a mental state, moving and progressing as, as a human being and who you are. And so that's what I want to say, you know, just, you know, wherever you are, whoever you are listening, just get out there and move with it and, and, and join us, join any, you know, great run crews out there. Um, we love working with the run crews. We love working with all the uh, tri clubs. And, and, and I'll also say this is that at some point in time, one of the things that I really care about is, you know, it means nothing if we're so fragmented and, and, and you know, there's a, a crew here with 10, a crew here with 30. But the things that matter are when we can come together and unite to really share this message about minorities and people of color, Latinos in sports, right? Running, swimming, cycling, because that's where it is. That's where we really have to elevate the mission. is isn't just about, oh, this group of triathlon oh, and that group of runners is let's all come together and talk about people of color, Latinos in sports, and let's raise that banner and come together and really work together to, 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 to bring about good cause. Because at the end, that's, that's, who, that's who hurts, right? It's all the people who don't get to hear the message about health, health and wellness and, and living the best life possible. And I think that that's where we really want to drive to. And so that's it. Michelle, I think he beat you. 
He totally like gave us a deep dish right now. <laughs> he, really did. he really did. <laughs> I really so, want some pizza. <laughs> so I think this is a great way to end the show. Caesar, I love what you were saying in the hot mic about you don't actually have to do a triathlon. That reminds me of um, some advice that we got from in an earlier episode from, I believe, Peter Bromka, who said in his hot mic, you don't even need to really run. Just get out there and get your body in motion. And that's really what it's all about. Um, you know, we've had a string of um, firsts on this podcast, and this is the first time we've had triathletes and triathlons. So uh, it's been really wonderful to have both of you, Cesar Argueta, the president, and Michelle Mendoza, vice president of Tri Latino. Thank you for um, joining us and really look forward to seeing your group grow and you know, we'll be in touch. Um, I want to thank also Jamie and Inez, my co-hosts and our listeners. We will talk to you next time on the next episode of Let's Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store and follow us on Spotify.